you have it. Hey, I didn't tell you to sit down. Hey, you having a good time here today? It's good to be here today. Hey, man, why don't you go ahead and uh, wish somebody a happy Thanksgiving here this morning before you sit down, and uh, then we'll get at this. Hey man, okay, good enough. That's great. Morning Harvest. Happy Thanksgiving. Good to see you. And um, yeah, it's great to be here this morning. Hey Angela, welcome to the staff team. Happy to have you aboard. And um, hey, uh, t- thanks for your prayers for, uh, for me and for Terry, the chairman of our elders, as we uh, took this trip to Europe last week. And it took us kind of like an extra day to get home. And uh, it was, uh, we had a great time and uh, we're going to report on that a little bit more um, uh, next Sunday. Terry's going to come and give a little report on that next week, but we just felt like this service was packed enough already. So uh, watch for that as we uh, come back just to report on our trip to Harvest in Glasgow and Arad and uh, Girok, Romania. So great times uh, there. And uh, last week while I was gone, of course, two Sundays, uh, this might be the first time this has ever happened. I don't know if Mike's still in the room. I don't think he is, but um, uh, we listened to his sermons, Terry and I did, over the Atlantic Ocean on the way home. So that's kind of cool. I bet you Mike's never preached over the Atlantic before. Um, but uh, I just wanted to say this, and I'm not just saying this because I want to encourage him or I'm just making this up. I mean, he preached two very powerful, very strong messages from God's Word. Amen? And um, I know Terry and I were very blessed by that, and, and uh, it would uh, not be wrong for you, uh, the Scriptures tell us, uh, that the elders worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word. And uh, so it would not be wrong for you to go and appreciate him even uh, directly into his face and thank him for that message. If you haven't heard those two sermons, uh, then you should go online and listen to those certainly uh, this week. And uh, speaking of this series, of course, uh, I gave uh, Mike two of the hardest messages, the two hardest messages, let's just admit that, uh, in this whole series. Uh, but we have put together, or we will be putting together all five messages into this set. We haven't done this for a while um, with everything being so available on iTunes and all of that. But um, we're putting these five messages together in a CD pack. Uh, the packaging's all ready to go. We're just waiting for the last two messages to be preached, put on CDs in here. And the thought behind this is that some of you may have friends that you know, uh, loved ones, who uh, maybe are asking some questions about the gospel and what it all means. And uh, this is something you could pick up and you could put into their hands. So maybe you want to pick up one or two copies of these. And you can pre-order these by stopping at the bookstore this morning. And uh, th- these are going to be $12 each uh, uh, when they're available. It'll just take a couple more weeks for us to get these last messages done. And those will be available uh, to you. Um, let me just say this too, one more uh, thing, and then we'll get to God's word, I promise. But uh, uh, the, during the fall here, we've seen a lot of Harvest Bible chapels starting, and it's great to be part of a movement of churches that's growing and where God is doing some really cool stuff. And this morning is no exception. We have a brand new church in Moldova. Uh, this is another new country for us. We've never been in Moldova before. This is another Romanian-speaking uh, congregation. And uh, starting out, uh, well, already started this morning because they're seven hours ahead of us. Um, So this church has already met for the first time this morning. And you can be praying for Harvest Bible Chapel, Metanoia, uh, Chisinau, Moldova, and Pastor uh, Kalen and his family. Uh, This is going to be an exciting time. I know that church has got a real good start already. And and God's going to do some powerful things uh, there. This will be our seventh Romanian-speaking congregation in Eastern Europe. uh, Five in Romania, uh, Moldova, and one in uh, Vienna, Austria. And in addition to that, which is really cool, is Pastor Christian's message, and we had him 
here from Harvest for Rod uh, back in April, like 50,000 Romanians from around the world watch online their service from Arad every week. 50,000 people. Uh, so praise God for that, amen? Hey, God's doing a great work uh, through all of that. All right, enough of the uh, Todd announcements. Um, your Bibles, Romans chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> I want to start with um, I'll start with this up here on the screen. Uh, this is out of the, the book Vertical Church. Um, most of you have a copy of that book. If you don't, you should stop by the bookstore and pick one up. And uh, we really would encourage everybody who got a copy, and we gave away copies for uh, three weeks running, um, to read this book. But this is a quote right out of it from Pastor James McDonald. Uh, the core of humanity's sin problem is not a horizontal behavior to be corrected, but a vertical relationship to be restored. Now that line from uh, the book establishes uh, both the problem and the solution for all of humanity, and it's at the core of the series that we're in here called Gospel, in which we are seeking to grasp the message that Jesus not only preached, but a message that he embodied in his varied life. And uh, we decided that we were going to try and distill this down, get it down to what are the basics. And uh, we got down to five words that fully describe the gospel. If you have all five of these and you understand them, that's the gospel. If you only have three or four of them, you don't have the gospel yet. And we wanted to understand the complete word of God, but get it down to its simplest form. What do we actually have to know? And so I thought it would be really cool for us this morning. Everybody look up here for a second. Everybody look up. Nobody looking down at your bulletin or anything. No cheating now, all right? I know you, all right? Harrison, eyes up, all right? So, so here's what we want to do. I just want to test you on the five words. You ready? Everybody looking up here? You got the words? First word is? God. You got it. All right. Second word? Correct. Nobody's looking in the bottom corner down here, by the way. I saw you, Gallant. You were looking down there, weren't you? First word? Second word? Third word? Right, and our word for today is? Correct. Okay, you got it. And then next week, we'll be looking at that last word, uh, life. And so those are the five essential words. And uh, what we've heard so far is this. There is a God, and we believe everyone knows it, that we have a God longing inside of us. We have this desire, this innate longing to be in a relationship with God. People look for him in all different ways. Uh, But listen, we have that longing Uh, But there is a problem, and the dilemma that we're under is this, that sin has separated us from our God. And so though we long for him, uh, there's this chasm between us. It's the chasm of our personal sin. I'm grateful uh, for this, though. Uh, There's a solution. And the solution is that Jesus Christ gave his life for us as a substitution. He, in other words, paid our sin debt for us. Uh, That's the substitutionary atonement, uh, the life-giving application of the blood of Jesus Christ to our sins. And thus, all we have to do, the only requirement on us, is that we would believe these truths and find life in Jesus Christ. And so this is what's in front of us today. There's only one response to the solution that Jesus provides us to the dilemma that we have. And that is to come to Jesus Christ in faith. And my desire is that by the end of this message, if you don't already understand this, that by the end of this message, you will fully grasp what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. So let's turn our attention to uh, God's word. Romans chapter 10 is where we are today. And uh, we're going to look at verses 8 uh, through 13. Let me read this and then I'll pray. 
The Apostle Paul writing says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, your word says that it's a, it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. And there's much that uh, we could give thanks for uh, this morning, not the least of which is being able to have your word in front of us, just to hold it, to hear it, and to be challenged by it, to know that you loved us so much that you spoke to us and made a way for us to reconcile our relationship with you. So thank you for that. Thank you for this place where we can gather Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would do a work that we desperately need done here today. God, that you would speak a word into our lives. And God, that transformation, change, genuine life change would come to this place today. That your salvation would come to this place today. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. There's only one response to all that we've heard. Come to Jesus Christ in faith. Notice first, um, this uh, gospel is accessible. It's an accessible message. In the first verse, we see this phrase, uh, the word is near you. And in the first message in this series, in fact, uh, we found out this about uh, God, that he's actually not that far from us. Paul had preached this message in Athens uh, Acts chapter 17, and as he was uh, talking to the philosophers and the teachers in that part of the city and, and uh, talking about religious things and spiritual things and Paul sharing about the gospel of Christ, and uh, Paul was saying to them, you're spending your lives kind of feeling around, uh, looking for God, trying to find something that makes sense. And the city of Athens itself was filled with evidence that these people were trying to find their way to God. And then Paul says to him in verse 27 of Acts 17, he just says, uh, but he's actually not that far from any of you. He's not that far from any of you. God is right there. He's close. He's, uh, he, he's ready. He's, he's right there waiting for you when you uh, go to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And uh, the word of God is the same. Not just a God close to us, but actually his word spoken to us. Is, it's right there. It's available. It's accessible to every one of us. Uh, the word is near you. It's it's readily available. You see it in verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Word of faith there, just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Exactly what we're talking about. The life-transforming message that Jesus preached and embodied. And there it is for us. It's, it's available. And really, no one has uh, much of an excuse anymore um, they really never did, but here we have uh, the readily available Word of God. I mean, here you are today, and uh, maybe you're here as an invited guest. Maybe church really isn't your thing. 
uh, but you're here under the hearing of God's word. It's accessible to you. And in, in fact, whether you have it open in front of you or not, and I would always encourage our people, have the Bible open in front of you and have it that accessible to you. Uh, but even if you don't, it's being proclaimed in your hearing right now. It's accessible to you. You have it. You can confirm the things that I'm saying here today uh, so readily. It's so available. You can go online and there are uh, Bibles online and there's preaching online and there's books you can order and sermons you can listen to. It's so crazy today with the technologies, in fact, going around the world that uh, uh, through the internet, um, people can um, access anything they want concerning the word of God and the gospel. I was just looking at my own iPhone this morning, just kind of thinking about this. And I have, I have six different Bible apps uh, for my iPhone. I don't know why exactly I need six. It's like I'm collecting them. And all of them have access to all the different... It isn't like there's six different translations, one for each app. Like every one of the apps has all the translations. So I'm not exactly sure why I have six, but it illustrates the point. It's so accessible. It's so available to us. And there's really no excuse for anyone to say, I don't understand the gospel or I, I don't know what it is. We, we do. We do understand because it's, it's right there for us. And, um, and here's the thing. That when you have knowledge, knowledge brings responsibility. See, that's the heavy part of this. This isn't just something you add to your storehouse of things I know. Now this bears responsibility for me. I, I actually have to do something with this knowledge that I have. And the reality is that once we have this knowledge, to quote every high school teacher everywhere, uh, this will be on the test. It's going to be on the test. You say, well, what test are we talking about? Well, at the end of the age, uh, when either Jesus comes back or you die and you're standing at the end of the age before the judgment of God, God's going to give you a test. He's going to give every one of us a test. Now, don't worry about it. It's not an essay test. That's the thing that strikes fear in everybody's heart, right? For two hours, I need to sit here and just write words on a page and make that make sense. That's a hard thing for everybody. God's not, it's not an essay question. In fact, God's just got one question on the test and it's multiple choice. And it isn't like A, B, C, D, and E where, you know, D is all of the above and E is none of the above and they're just trying to mess with you. All right, it's not that. One question, multiple choice, A and B, and everyone has to take the test. Everyone. You've heard the gospel. It's accessible. You have it. Now take the test. What will you do? Here's the question. What will you do with Jesus? I mean, what, you, what have you done with Jesus? This message was proclaimed to you. You heard it. You know what Jesus was all about. What, do you, what did you do with that? Now, here are your answers. A, I believed in and confessed him as Lord of my life. That's A. And a lot of you people in this room are going to be able to circle A and go, Jesus, this is my answer right here. I heard the message. What did I do with Jesus? I, I believed in him. I confessed him. He was Lord of my life. But then there's probably some other people in this room. Um, a B is your answer. And there are no other answers. But um, you rejected him in his message. And um, it's kind of a pass-fail thing on this test. There's not really any grading. You either get it or you don't. It's right or it's wrong. And it determines your eternity. The easy access to the Bible and its message puts tremendous responsibility on us to be ready for that day. 
when we'll stand before the Lord. What will you do with Jesus today? The word of God is near you right now. Well, there's a dual requirement then, having the word of God proclaimed to us, a dual requirement according to the test for the one who would actually be saved. You say, well, okay, I get it. The word of God's close to me. I'm, I'm hearing the message. Now what do I do with it? Well, a dual requirement as the text goes on here. First, there must be an outward profession. Confess with your mouth. And Paul deals first with the confession, although it certainly does not precede belief. In fact, we would see these two things kind of happening almost simultaneous to each other, that I, I, I believe inwardly, I understand the gospel, I, I believe it and trust in the word that's been given to, him, to me, and then almost immediately I would have this desire in me, man, I just trusted Jesus as Savior, and he just saved me and cleansed me of all my sins. I just can't wait to tell somebody about that. And um, we see this in new believers. They're just so eager and excited to tell people that they know the Lord and what's happened to them and how he's cleansed them from their sins. And the big problem, though, is for those of us who have known the Lord for a long time, who somewhere along the way decided that that wasn't an exciting news story anymore. And all of a sudden, we're 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road. We're not telling anybody that we're Christians anymore. It's no less exciting that we get to be with him for all eternity. It's no less exciting that our sins have been forgiven. So these things kind of happen simultaneously, the in the heart belief and the confession coming out of our mouths. We just have this desire to tell everybody of the difference Jesus has made to us. Now take a look at verses 9 and 10 because this lays it all out for us. Again, first we're looking at the outward profession, uh, but verse 9 says this, and um, you should have these underlined in your Bible, by the way. These are two critical verses as you share the gospel with people. You'd want them to have these two verses. Uh, Angela, you got these underlined because of your Bible? Are they underlined? You don't underline in your Bible? You're on staff and you don't underline in your Bible? Dude, first meeting coming up this week. All right. Okay, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now let's talk about the how you confess, and then we'll talk about the what you confess, all right? We'll lay, lay out these two things. First is this, how you confess is with your mouth. In other words, this has to be an actual, uh, speaking it out, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, there are no secret saints, there are no covert Christians. There's no like, oh yes, I made that decision. I just don't talk about it. There's none of that. There's none of that in scripture. And when we have people who make a decision for Christ, listen, they're shouting it out. They're telling people there's actual confession with the mouth. It's a very public thing, publicly confessing that they're saved and that Jesus Christ is Lord in their lives. That's the how they confessed. And you're either out loud for him. Listen now, you're either out loud for him or you have no reason for confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're trying to hold it all in, you would need to get before the Lord and question whether or not it's really genuine. Do I really understand what happened to me? Has it really happened to me? Because if it has, I'd want to tell people. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
That's the how you confess. It needs to be public. And by the way, one of the scriptural ways, the scriptural way that's outlined for us to confess Jesus as Lord is in the waters of baptism. That when we get in the baptistry, we stand out there and we say, yeah, this is what my life was like before. And then I met Jesus. And now my life is like this. And that's the public confession of our faith, according to the scripture. So that's the how you confess. And then how about this, the what we confess. When our mouths open up, what actually is coming out? It's this line right here. Jesus is, you got it? You tracking along with me? Everybody still here? What are, we, what are we confessing? You see it there in the text? Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. That's the whole thing. Now that's probably the simplest creed in the Bible. Maybe uh, your background was in a creedal church or a church that had a liturgy and creeds were spoken in the church. And this is a creed. Uh, almost universally, commentators will understand that this was an early creed of the church, and it played upon something that was happening in the culture, in that um, in the Roman world, uh, they had an emperor whose name was Caesar, and, uh, or his title was Caesar, and um, uh, people would declare publicly that uh, Caesar is Lord. And uh, what really needed to happen here, as people became uh, followers of Jesus Christ in this cultural context, is they began to proclaim not that Caesar was Lord, but that Jesus was Lord of their lives. That their whole life was going to be devoted uh, to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is Lord. Now the thing with this little creed that would be spoken is, it declares complete dependency on Christ. And we tend to be kind of self-sufficient. We like to think of ourselves as depending on no one else but us. Uh, this is kind of an adult thing. We, we, like to, um, we like to provide for ourselves. We like to think that we've earned these things, that we've worked towards them. And uh, that attitude isn't going to help us at all get into a relationship with Christ. And it isn't going to help us with the Jesus is Lord part. We all struggle with this. There's no doubt that even for the followers of Christ here, there was a day when you would have declared that Jesus is Lord, and that was the day that you became a follower of Jesus Christ. But then I continue to wrestle with this. You might continue to wrestle with it. Every day you might just kind of look in the mirror and just go, yeah, I think right now I'm still kind of Lord of my life that I'm still controlling some of the things. And though we've laid these things down before the Lord, is it not true that as the follower of Christ, sometimes we pick those things back up again? And we claim them for ourselves and we start making the decisions for ourselves again. And, And listen, when we declare Jesus is Lord, this is what it means, that I'm no longer calling the shots in my life, that I would have no other gods before him, That I'm not on the throne of my own heart anymore, but God's on the throne. He's the king of my life. That it's not my will, but it's his that's going to be done in my life. That I've completely and entirely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. That's what's coming out of my mouth. Maybe you're at that place where you're ready to even say that. You're saying, you know, I want to become a Christ follower and I've heard the gospel before and I feel the Lord really pulling on my heart right now. Maybe you're at the point and this is, this is where you might say things like this. Jesus, I'm empty inside. I've, I've tried everything the world has to offer and I've, I've come up with nothing. I've made a mess of things in my life. I, I, I'm trapped. I can't really see a way out of my current circumstances and I need you to take control I need to be free of the sins that are in my life and my way of doing things. And I give you my life. That needs to happen. 
in every single salvation story, every testimony that's told, that absolutely needs to happen. We need to declare our dependency in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the outward confession. The second requirement here, the second part of this in verses 9 and 10 is inward belief. Will you believe in your heart? In other words, this isn't simply intellectual assent. That isn't just I'm agreeing with it uh, because I've understood it. It's much more than that. This is belief. I certainly do have to understand it uh, mentally, cognitively, but, but then it needs to be transferred to my heart. Uh, you can understand the gospel. You can give mental assent to the gospel, intellectual assent to it, but not actually uh, believe it. Notice verse 9, that you have to believe uh, in your heart. Verse 10, with the heart one believes and is justified that we're justified, just another way of saying saved. And anytime we're seeing the word believe, by the way, a good time to insert this, the word believe, same original language word as the word faith. And so we're talking about all the way through here, this is faith, belief in Jesus Christ. And so this is a matter of the heart. And what we offer here in this church, and I don't know what every other church is like, but what we're offering here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not behavior modification. We're not just trying to change behavior. I'm not here like some motivational speaker just trying to offer solutions that's going to help you improve your horizontal life. What we're about here, as we said right off the top, is a a vertical reconciliation with God, not horizontal behavior solutions. That God would bless us in our horizontal lives in some way, and that some of those things might be sorted out along the way. That's a bonus that God gives us as a blessing. But the priority for us is to restore the relationship with God, who will do that renovating work in us later. And so we need to long for this relationship with our God. And so we do not preach ethical reformation, but spiritual transformation This is about deep personal conviction and life-altering faith for each one of us. It is a full and unreserved trust in the God who raised his son from the dead by his own great power. Notice what we must believe. See it in the verse? What we must believe is that God raised him from the dead. Not raised him from the dead in some mystical, spiritualized, inspirational kind of way. There are people who call themselves Christians today, Christian believers, who would believe that Jesus was not actually physically raised from the dead, but that it's just a really nice story about uh, a good teacher uh, whose life is in us today, and he's kind of alive today in that we keep his memory alive, and that's all really inspirational, and don't you love that, and let's all clap for Jesus kind of thing. And that's not what we preach here. We preach that Jesus Christ was dead And that he was raised to new life visibly and bodily by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. And that's the life transforming message of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can give us hope. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This is what we must believe that God raised him from the dead. It's representative of the whole gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. And belief in the resurrection stands here as the only way that we can come into a relationship with him. And for the life of me, I can't understand why 
something that calls itself a church who was open this morning for people to come and gather would believe anything other than this. I can't really understand the point. And yet I know that there are churches in this very city where the ministers who are standing up in front of people today are teaching their people that there is no resurrection. And I go like, why bother? Why are you in business? What are you really offering anyone? Our elder chair, Terry, here, um, about uh, two, three weeks ago, had the opportunity to speak at a very diff- difficult funeral for some friends. And as he, we, you can bet he preached the gospel, right? That he brought a strong word from the Lord. And as he stood there in what is a mainline, long-time denominational church in Canada, as he stood in that church and preached that gospel, this lady came up to him who was a member of that church and said to him, um, that was so good, and um, it's been a long time, many, many years since we've heard the gospel preached in this place. And, and, I, and I was, my first thought was, why are you still going to that church? Like, if you care about that, why are you still there? Get out of there and get to a place where the gospel is being preached and proclaimed, where life transformation can actually happen. This is about inward belief, belief in our heart, and salvation comes because we believe in resurrection power. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead raises us from the deadness of our sins. There is no other message. It erases our sin debt, the penalty we face. And this we believe, notice, with the heart. An outward confession, an inward belief, a perfect solution. You will not be put to shame. Now you recall in this series, that we all have this dilemma that sin has separated us from our God, the God that we long for, and Jesus gave his life in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. Uh, His wrath would be satisfied, and all this would come to us if we would simply believe in faith. Now look at verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, we all deal with shame in our lives. Some of us might be dealing with shame about some past sin. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you need to just, you know, stop that. We don't need to be ashamed of anything we've done in our past if Jesus has really cleansed us. If we really have come to faith in him, if he really has taken our sin debt on us, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. It's time to be done with that, followers of Christ. Loved ones, we need to hear this and uh, and live out what Jesus Christ has done for us. But for those who are not yet the followers of Jesus Christ, listen, I have some bad news for you. Your shame is still on you. And I can't do anything about that. And the reality is that the day is coming for you when you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you will bear your own shame. There's a day coming when I, as a follower of Christ, will stand before the Lord and uh, the evil one, Satan, he'll try and stick some things to me and nothing's gonna stick because listen, I've had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my life. There is no sin that sticks to me. But there are some people in this room, you are not followers of Christ and your shame is still with you. Your sin still sticks to you. You will stand before the Lord and you will have to give an account yourself for those sins and there is no accounting for it. And you will find yourself separated from God forever as a result. Your shame is still your own. Well, listen, you be free of it if you want to. 
You can call on the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse you of that shame. Because Jesus Christ took it all on himself. Not just the people in this room, but we have these books that we've set up, four of them around the auditorium here several weeks ago. And many of you have come and you've written names. Hundreds of names are in these books of people who you love, who are still bearing their own shame. What a great prayer to be able to go up here. And we've been encouraging you, come before the service, stay after the service and come to these books and pray through these names. And what a great prayer just to say, God, remove their shame. Bring them to faith in yourself. Help them to respond to the gospel. Move by your Holy Spirit, but take their shame and put it on your son. You see, it has to go somewhere. Jesus took it on himself. Hebrews 12, 2 says he endured the cross, despising the shame. Not thinking much of it. It was there. He took our shame on himself. If you want a great read on this, we don't have time to do it right now, but this afternoon, maybe take Isaiah 53 and read through that and look at what Jesus took upon himself. All of our stuff, he took it all on himself. Rejoice and thank God on this Thanksgiving that, that God did that for you. Christ took that all on himself. He endured the cross, despising the shame. 1 John 2.28 says, He did this so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That's what Jesus did for us. It's the perfect solution. And will you accept that solution for yourself? There's a universal offer here. It's for all of us. Verse 12, notice. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That was a big deal at the time. There was a whole ethnic division between Jews and Gentiles. But he says this, Paul, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Notice the word everyone was used in verse 11. The word all here in verse 12, everyone again in verse 13. This is a universal offer. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. He bestows his riches, again verse 12, on all who call on him. His riches, again speaking of the salvation that we can have in him. He's ready to give this to anyone. No one is excluded by race, by age. By gender, by social status. The same Lord, the verse says, is Lord of all. You say, well, I understand that those things don't separate me from God, but my sin separates me from God. You don't know what I've done in my life. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many times you've been married or how many divorces you've had in your past or what a train wreck you've made of relationships. It doesn't matter how sexually active uh, you've been. It doesn't matter uh, if you've taken the life of your own child through abortion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have been a drug addict or you have been an alcoholic and if you've wreaked havoc on people around you and destroyed their lives through those things. It does not matter. It doesn't matter how much you have stolen or taken from people. It does not belong to you. We had a man who used to come to this church He told me that he's stolen at least into the seven figures 
No way he could ever repay the debt. Doesn't matter. Jesus welcomed him. Doesn't matter if you've never been able to control your tongue and you've destroyed lives through your gossip and your slandering. It does not matter before the Lord. There is no sin so deep that Jesus cannot reach you and love you and forgive you. It's a universal offer that he's making here to everyone. And will you respond to what he's putting right in front of us today? Will you call on the name of the Lord? That's what verse 13 says. That's all it takes. Just call in the name of the Lord. Just believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth and call out to him in this moment. And and the only thing, there's only one thing that's really going to hold you back from doing that right now. And it's personal. It's your pride. Say you think you don't need this or, or that you're too good for it. Maybe you think that you can still make it on your own. And unless our pride is shattered, we'll never call on him. Jesus, in fact, says this whole thing begins with poverty of spirit. Matthew 5, 3 is the beginning of the Beatitudes. The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's what we're trying to get is the kingdom of God. We're trying to be in a relationship with our God. And it starts with poverty of spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, which really just means that I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of my, I have nothing left to give, zero. Now I can come to God because all of myself is out of the way and God is freely welcomed into my life. Another way to look at this is the way Jesus uh, talked about children and, and their faith and the simplicity of it. And he said in Luke 18, 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Simple. Childlike faith. That's what God requires of us. No sense of self-sufficiency entirely dependent on him. That's what children are. We talked about dependency. Children are totally dependent and they get it. They just come and go from the home. They wear their clothes. Clothes miraculously reappear clean in their room. They go and play for hours, then they come. Food miraculously appears on the table. They eat it, they leave. The next day, the same thing. Children are completely dependent. They don't think a lot about it. A house is provided for them, a bed, furniture, toys, everything they could possibly imagine. Children are completely dependent. Not adults. No, we... we um, we provide all these things for ourselves. We, we, we make our way in the world. We provide all of these things. We work hard for this. We buy these things. We, we make a life for ourselves. That's adults. That's why it's so much easier for children in, in Harvest Kids or Awana. We heard a testimony from a young girl. That's why it's so much easier for them to come to faith in Christ. They get dependency. Jesus' is Lord isn't even hard for them. And the longer we go on in our adult life, the deeper we get into, I provided all these things for myself, the harder it is for us to say, Jesus is Lord. The harder it is for us to call on his name. So I would plead with you this morning, 
because he's no discriminator of age. It's a universal message. Call on the name of the Lord now before you take another breath, before another day or week or month goes by. Call on the name of the Lord now. I understand that there are objections to belief. I understand that people put roadblocks in the way of all of this. I've, I've heard all of these. I, maybe you have too. I, have you heard this one? I have my own faith. Have you heard this one? You've tried to share the gospel with us. I have my own faith. You've got yours. i got mine. That's, you're just getting blown off at that point. You get that, right? How about uh, the person who says, um, I don't want, um, or I believe that God accepts everyone in the end anyway. You heard this one? God accepts everybody in the end, right? Or, or uh, I don't want to embarrass myself. This is true. Some people just think that this is kind of embarrassing. Uh, some people would say, I have a reputation to maintain. Or still others might say, I fear the cost of it. I appreciate the honesty of this latter group who say, I I fear the cost of following Christ. I've had discussions with people who fully understand the gospel. They get it top to bottom. They could explain it as well as I've explained it. And then they realize that if they make the decision, there's a cost to it. And I appreciate the honesty and integrity behind that and the discussions I've had with people. I know that if I make this decision for Jesus, this is what it's gonna mean in my life. I appreciate that. Because there very much is a cost to all of this. There is something that's going to happen to us after we make this faith-filled decision to believe and confess Christ as Lord. And I don't want anybody to think here that Mike and I have preached this series or that the elders have approved this series for our church in an effort to fill all the empty chairs and to have more baptisms and increase the membership. It's not simply about just adding numbers to the church because I'll tell you this, that the cost of following Jesus Christ means that this is not a message that's easy. It's simple to understand, but not easy to follow. There's a whole sense of some gospel preaching that falls under the category of easy believism and this is not that. And I would say that I'd rather have a small church with fewer but real converts than a large church with scores of false converts who have not counted the cost of following Jesus. A couple months ago, I saw this, and I've been holding on to it until this message. And this is going to help us understand just a little more completely what it means, the cost to follow Jesus. This is seven questions for new converts in an Asian country. This uh, comes from Leadership Journal. And um, Asian Access, a Christian missions agency in South Asia, listed a series of questions that church planters must ask new believers who are considering baptism. And we asked these people some questions before they were baptized. And these are the questions that are being asked in a different church plant in a South Asian country. Now, due to safety concerns, Asian Access does not mention the country's name. The country is predominantly Hindu But over the past few decades, Christianity has grown in popularity, especially among poor and tribal peoples. Now, these are the seven questions asked to help determine a new convert's readiness to follow Christ. Now, this is going to punctuate the cost because I'm not interested in you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning if you think that's just all easy and there isn't a cost to it. Because it could mean some things for you. Number one. 
Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Some of you maybe have Asian backgrounds and you know how serious that is. Maybe some of you came out of tribal settings or you have some understanding of these things and you understand the severity of what it means to lose the blessing and be isolated from family. Number two, are you willing to lose your job? I mean, can you imagine if this is what would happen here and maybe it has, I don't know, but someone comes up here and says, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my savior. And I say, well, that's great. Are you prepared to lose your job for it? Ah, man, I got a good job. I don't think I could get another job that paid as well as this job, and I'm just starting to move up in the company. And well, Listen, for people in this country, it's a very real thing, and if they live in an impoverished area, a job means the difference between life and death, feeding your family or not. Number three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Now, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Are you willing to give your money? I've heard it said before that the last thing to get saved is a person's wallet. Heard about a guy once who got baptized, held his, water out of the, his wallet out of the water. You know, that kind of thing. This is a big deal. Are you willing to spend, give generously as evidence of your faith in Christ? Five, Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Beaten. Fists, rocks, sticks, bats. Six, are you willing to go to prison? Come to faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your cell. What do you think number seven is? Exactly. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Well, if the new convert answers yes to all of these questions, seven out of seven, then the leaders invite that person to sign on the bottom of the paper that of their own free will, they have decided to follow Jesus. But here's the risk. If the new convert signs the paper and is caught by the government authorities, he or she will spend three years behind bars. The one who did the evangelizing, six years. Now listen, that's the cost. And in contrast to that, as I think about it here in terms of our own church family, and listen, these are genuine believers like you and me. They heard the word of God. They responded to it. They're giving their life for it, but it just seems so much more serious than worship, walk, work. I mean, that's our discipleship track. That's what we're asking from you. I mean, how hard is it really to say, hey, we want you to be a worshiper of Christ and to be here with God's people every week and make the sacrifice to always be here on Sundays and be on time and be prepared. Walk with Christ. Get involved in a small group. Be involved in the life of some other people. Care for one another and love one another. Walk with Christ. Have some personal devotions. Read the Bible. Pray. and Work for Christ. Find a place where you can serve the Lord. Now I look at those seven questions versus worship, walk, work, and I go, man, the cost doesn't seem very high to us, you know? Not by comparison. Would our church be as full today? 
Would there be as many people willing to profess faith in Christ if they had to sign on the bottom of the page knowing they might go to jail for it? There's a cost to all of this. But calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, will be the best decision you ever make. Even if you lose your job, even if you lose friendships, even if people shun you, even if your family doesn't want to have anything to do with you, it will still be the best decision you ever make. And the people who sign on the bottom of the seven questions in this South Asian country know that. Otherwise, they wouldn't sign it. They know it's the best decision. They know it's something they could never go back on. It's such a good decision that you would be willing to sacrifice anything and everything to have it. And then you'd be willing to share it with anyone. The reality is 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. The gospel is a stumbling block to some people. It's foolishness to other people. And it's the power of God to still others. Which is it for you? You're listening to me right now. And some of you think, yeah, I'm kind of stumbling over this. It's kind of, it's kind of upsetting my life, but I'm not ready to receive it. Some of you are just going, this is just foolishness. When is this over? And some of you know the power of God in your own life. And you know the transformation that it has brought to your life. You know the eternal benefit. This is what we see just in that last phrase of verse 13. The eternal benefit. We'll talk a lot more about this next week. But you will be saved. The benefit of the gospel. Hope, peace, joy in Jesus Christ. Regardless of the circumstances. John 10.10. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundant. Romans 6.23, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not just an abundant life here, but the promise of eternal life forever. These are the benefits of the gospel that are offered to us who are saved. And some of you here this morning, you know you're burdened by your sin. You know you have not yet made this decision to become a follower of Christ. The circumstances of your life are crushing you, but God is wanting to use those circumstances here this morning to draw you into a relationship with himself. The gospel is accessible. The word of God is being spoken in your hearing. It's in your ears and in your mind. And my hope is that you would believe and call in the name of the Lord and have it in your heart and declare Jesus Christ to be Lord that this morning you would get that vertical relationship with him restored. And so here's, here's what I'd like to do. Just set your Bibles aside uh, for now and, and just bow your heads with me. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come out and they're just going to play uh, for a moment while I give you an opportunity to pray and consider these things before the Lord. If you're a follower of Christ already, then pray and thank God for the gospel this morning that has transformed your life and for the hope that he's given to you. Thank him that you heard the word and had enough faith to believe and to call in his name. Thank God for these things and ask him to strengthen you by the hearing of a gospel today. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you are feeling the Holy Spirit work in your life right now, drawing you to himself, 
Right after our first service this morning, someone came to faith in Christ between services. We would love it if someone else in this service would indicate the same thing and just say, I I need Jesus Christ. I want to confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. I want my sins forgiven. Then you pray right now. You call out to the Lord. You ask him for that. Just while the team plays for a moment, and then I'm going to lead you through a prayer.